Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Free Trail Friday, our third installment. One of these days, we'll figure out the technology <laughs> side of things. But uh, really happy to have everybody here. Uh, again, uh, we're joined by 100-mile world record holder, Camille Heron. My name is Dylan Bowman. We're doing these Free Trail Fridays every week. Again, this is our third one. and very happy to be joined by the amazing Camille Heron. Thanks everybody for being here wherever you are in the world. I would encourage you to get active in the chat. Let us know if you've got questions for Camille. Let us know where you're tuning in from. I'm gonna do my best to monitor the chat function here on YouTube and try and pull some good questions uh, that you guys wanna know into the conversation with Camille. A big thank you is in order also to our sponsor, Aura Ring. Aura is an awesome wearable technology company. I wear mine 24-7. I've been using this for many years now. And as somebody who's not a technology guy or a numbers guy, I actually really do enjoy sort of keeping track of myself using this awesome, awesome ring here on my index finger. If you guys are wanting to learn more or pick up a ring yourself. Uh, there's a link in the description here on YouTube, and we'll also put it in the description or in the show notes of the audio that we'll publish in the podcast feed that will give you six months free subscription with the purchase of the Gen 3 Aura ring, which I am wearing here. So a big thank you to Aura for their support of Free Trail Friday. But that's enough uh, sort of introduction here. Camille, a warm welcome to you. How are you doing on this fine Friday afternoon, I guess? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit better each day. So I guess it's been a week since the race and uh, got on the treadmill this morning and um, I'm feeling pretty good. So yeah, just just keep going with it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we were just talking about this before going live, but you're already back at it. It's your one week removed from your most re most recent rewriting of the record books. <laughs> and, uh, just did a little, what, what'd you do on the treadmill this morning? Uh, yeah, I did like an hour. So, um, it's like an ice skating rink outside right now. So I, <laughs> I'm like, right now is not the time to be Rocky Balboa. So I'm, I'm staying comfortably in my house and running on my treadmill. So, yeah, yeah. Well, so last time we talked, which wasn't long ago, we, uh, I know. Published a podcast <laughs> recently yeah. and, uh, we were talking about how you guys had been a little bit nomadic. You'd lived in Colorado, then you were in Arizona <laughs> and it sounds like you moved back to Oklahoma now. So catch us I up. Did. What's happening in your life? Yeah. Yeah. I think like after we talked and um, maybe like a couple of days after that, and um, we ended up putting our house up for sale in Arizona and then a house in Oklahoma popped up in our old neighborhood. So, <laughs> you know? so, uh, so we ended up like everything just happened really fast. Wow. We were able to sell our house in Arizona really fast. And we put an offer down immediately on the house in Oklahoma. And, um, we live 400 meters from our old house. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like you're back at home. I'm back at home. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've already been like around Oklahoma city and people are spotting me and like, they're like, wow, you moved back. So it's really cool to, to come back and be seeing the same people that I always see. And yeah, just everybody's excited. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. And I'm also fascinated because moving and buying house and selling houses is a quite a <laughs> stressful ordeal. And you've sort of threaded the needle in between a number of amazing performances. And one of the yeah. things I wanted to ask you about, and this sort of is on the same topic is that of recovery, because, you know, in the last four months, you've put together three of the best hundred mile performances in recent memory at Havelina, <laughs> then Desert Solstice, and now at Jackpot. So how were you feeling at the start line of Jackpot? Did you feel like you had any lingering fatigue and was the move and the general stress of life uh, impacting you at all also? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I felt great. I um. It almost felt like coming back to Oklahoma kind of like really like energized me. I'm just running at my old, you know, stomping grounds and going down to went down to Mount Scott and did a, a big, you know, hill climb. And 
And it just like, I felt like I actually got a boost, you know, uh, even though like we we're moving and all this, I guess Connor was the one that was mainly, you know, managing that. Fortunately, I don't have to do the heavy lifting. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make the hubby do it. Well, that's yeah. so cool. I mean, Camille, you've just been on such a heater recently. It's like <laughs> when Steph Curry gets in the zone and it's just like he's hitting three pointers with his eyes closed. It feels like you've sort of been doing the same. Again, yeah. going back to Havelina, where you won and broke the course record, finished fourth overall. Desert Solstice, you set another American 100-mile record on the track, and now a jackpot where you set not only the 100-mile world record, but a number of other records, and I'll share your, <laughs> your spreadsheet here soon. To what do you attribute this incredible streak of world-class performance? Yeah, yeah. So uh, as we talked about in our previous podcast, um, I've just gotten my health figured out. Uh, finding out last, I guess it was last May, that I had this iron overload issue, and um, yeah, I mean, between that and I also had low magnesium and low B12. So I had all these like biomarkers, you know, that were just, you know, out of whack. And um, I've had to work with a dietitian to figure out my own personal nutrition. And, you know, you, you hear about, you know, athletes eat whatever, and, and we think that, oh, nutrition doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But um, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm performing at the highest level in the sport and it does matter. And, um, you know, I, obviously if somebody's anemic that, you know, they're going to feel pretty tired and I have the opposite problem. I'm iron overloaded. Uh, and so I feel tired as well, like extremely tired. Wow. And, and so, so yeah, I've been able to work with a dietitian and just, you know, get my own personal nutrition figured out. And I feel like it's just kind of relit that internal inferno that I have, um, you know, to sustain. I've obviously, you know, I've already had already set world records and, um, but I just felt like my inferno had just like, you know, yeah. spun out. And so, and the dietitian just getting my nutrition and my biomarkers, you know, more balanced is, you know, just relit the inferno. So yeah. you obviously, you obviously need energy and, you know, from your food to, you know, make ATP for cells, you know, so you can, yeah. <laughs> can keep running. Um, and so, yeah, we've just, we just really got that dialed in and, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just been, been on a roll here. So yeah, yeah. You've been on a roll. You've been on a heater, <laughs> as I said, and for those who are watching, if you haven't listened to the uh, recent podcast that Camille and I did, I'd encourage you to do so where we talk at length about this iron overload issue. If you want to learn more about uh, what Camille was dealing with. And now, yeah, as you said, that's in the rear view mirror in a big way. And you've put together yeah. just some incredible performances. And the most recent one, Jackpot, is what we're going to spend the rest of our conversation talking about today. So let's open up that conversation by just giving the uh, the viewers and listeners uh, a description of the course. And I'll actually share my screen because I've got a Strava activity up here. But why don't you go ahead and describe the jackpot race and the course? Yeah, so uh, it's 85 loops. Uh, that's, I think, like 1.17 miles. Oh, you're pulling it up there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, along with your spreadsheet, which we'll get to in a sec. But yeah, go, oh, go ahead and talk about this uh, the course real quick. This oh, is cool. this is Arlen oh, Glick's activity. Oh, yeah, Arlen Glick's activity. Yeah, yeah. So it's like 1.17 miles and 85 laps, and I think like just every 3,000 feet of elevation gain. I don't know what Arlen got. He probably got yeah, something like just that. Just about 3,000 feet. Okay. Yeah. Does it does it show? Yeah, it says. Oh yeah. yeah 3, oh yeah, yeah. There mm. you go. Yeah. So it's uh, not pancake flat. <laughs> it's, um, it's obviously not a track. Um, it's, you know, a completely different course than what I set my previous world records on for 12 hours and hundred miles at tunnel Hill. Um, tunnel Hill is a rails to trails course that is, you know, goes, it's like a, a funnel, you know, in the trees. Um, this is in Las Vegas, completely exposed in the bright sun, um, and, and not that the temperatures were that hot. I mean, I think it may have gotten into the upper sixties, mm -hmm. but you feel you kind of, it sits down in a bowl and you kind of feel like you're an ant with a magnifying glass on you. Yeah. 
So uh, that's what I was curious about because it did look like there was no respite from the sun, like there's no shade. But the the conditions seemed like they were pretty conducive to running fast. Although in the men's race, there was a lot of attrition. Uh, and really, I mean, you won the race outright, we should also mention, and by a really <laughs> wide margin. What were the conditions like? Did it feel like the, it was a it was a day to run fast because really aside from yourself nobody ran a spectacularly fast time on the course yeah and um, yeah I, I mean i i kind of went in like pretty conservative with my goals i i thought that maybe running under 13 hours was a good goal uh when zach bitter ran his course record was last year and it was like 88 degrees so it was pretty impressive you know that he ran 20 or 12 52 i guess and you know 88 degrees on this course is really really impressive so this was like 20 degrees cooler so it was uh, not as hot not having to apply you know heat uh heat you know strategies you know to deal with the heat um, well, at least I didn't have to, I didn't, I felt comfortable enough that I actually did not apply any ice or any cooling techniques. Um, I just told myself to, to suck it up buttercup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it worked. So, um, yeah. So, so I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask you to also compare it to the tunnel hill uh, course, because I mean, you just mentioned that it's different. It's not pancake flat. Would you consider the jackpot course to be significantly slower than the tunnel Uh, hill course? Absolutely. Yeah. My, um, my gap pace, I guess on Strava Mm -hmm. was, uh, 7.24 per mile, which is like 12.20. Okay. Uh, I had to put that into a calculator. So I was like, okay, this is about a 21 minute difference. Wow. Um, yeah. So if I got on a track right now, I'd probably run, you know, around maybe 1220. Um, but I, yeah, when I ran tunnel Hill, it was in like the upper twenties and thirties during the race. Uh So completely different conditions. And I felt like really comfortable during that race. Like I felt like I maybe underperformed during it Mm. um, because it was my first hundred miler and I didn't know how to push myself. And I feel like I came across the finish line feeling like full of energy. Yeah. So I felt much better finishing that race than I did this race where I really had to like dig deep and work for it because the conditions were making me more fatigued. Wow. So, so you're, um, you're probably hungry to do it again on a faster course in good conditions then. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, the race director, uh, Steve Durbin at Tunnel Hill is trying to recruit me back to Tunnel Hill to go break <laughs> my record. And that's, that's in the fall, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's in November. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty happy with what I did there. And I, I think my next effort would be on a pretty flat course, whether road or track. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I can at least run 1220 or faster, maybe even under 12 hours. Um, and I, I say, I say that, you know, being cautious as well, because, um, I know that's really hard and, um, for me to be 10% off of the men's world record, I think is around 12 hours and maybe just under 12 hours. I, I haven't done the math recently. Uh-huh. Um, but I guess, um, the reason why I know that sub 12 hours is possible is because John Olson, mm-hmm. uh, ran, I think it was 1159. And he is slightly uh, under me for 24 hours, I think maybe by like a half a mile or a mile or something like that. So I'm like, well, John did it. And I've run slightly further than him for 24 hours. Then maybe I have a shot. So incredible. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the things that we talked about in our podcast too, is your fearlessness and your (laughs) willingness to yeah, put those massive goals out there. And, you know, certainly it would shock the world, I think, to see you run under 12 hours just because, I mean, that would be a a different type of performance. But certainly, you know, if there's anybody in the world that could do it, it's, it's absolutely you. And for context, for the listeners talking about Tunnel Hill, we're referencing the world record that you had established back in 2017. And so this run at jackpot was breaking your own world record 
that being at Tunnel Hill in 2017. So I just wanted to put that on the table for our viewers and listeners. So talk about your husband, Connor, because you, <laughs> you, you posted about this on your Instagram. And not only is he your husband, obviously, but he's your coach and he's sort of your crew chief. Talk about how you guys work together uh, in executing these amazing performances. Yeah. So, um, I personally prefer to carry my hydration and my gels on me. Um, even though we're on these like, you know, small loops and I could, you know, technically get aid every lap if I wanted to, and being a trail runner, I prefer to be like self-sufficient and not be grabbing stuff all the time. Um, and so, so yeah, I pretty much like have like two small flasks that is like 10 ounces each. So about 20 ounces. And, um, it probably, you know, it's maybe about just over an hour that I go through my bottles and I have to get new bottles and, you know, uh, restock. Um, and so, you know, I have one bottle with water and another with sports drink. And, uh, and then I have like a baggie with, uh, I usually carry like four gels at a time. So like two hours worth of gels. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm being pretty self-sufficient and, um, you know, just kind of drinking as I need to drink, whatever I need to drink. And, um, and then he's there on the side, like, you know, to, I usually drop my bottles down and right before I get to him and then he hands off, you know, what I need. And, um, and then every two hours getting a new baggie of gels, mm-hmm. um, and then I also have a, uh, well, first off I should mention, um, so, cause this is a new sponsor is, uh, the naked sports innovation. Yeah. And so they, they make that really awesome belt. Um, and so I've been using that for, I don't know, like maybe six months now. And that is a great belt. Everybody, I really, really people like love that. Those. Yeah. I I've never used yeah. one, but people love that product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been, I've been able, cause in the past, I used to put like athletic tape on my chest and athletic tape. And I used to stuff like, you know, stuffing bottles and my stuff and, really? you know, my sports yeah. bra, my shorts. And yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I used to be like pretty minimalistic. Yeah. And, but, you know, sometimes, you know, the tape comes off or I get chafing or something, you know, weird yeah. happens. Um, so yeah, the naked belt has been really awesome to work with because it just, you know, holds everything right there and it's just super easy to work with. So, but what about like the, you know, the time splits here? So is that what Connor's doing? Is he sort of keeping you on pace and letting you know where you stand relative to course record, world record? Yeah. Yeah. So like the first couple hours and he was just letting me run. He wasn't like giving me feedback or anything. Like I just kind of like got into my groove, um, which for a hundred mile race is 75% of max heart rate effort which is something I had practiced in training. So, um, he wasn't telling me like where people were, or, uh, where I was. I mean, I, I was kind of watching the distance on my watch and, um, you know, waiting to hit like the marathon and then like 50 K and 50 miles. So, um, so yeah, I, I actually had no idea. Like I was on track for any records until I think it was maybe like 40 something miles that he said, Hey, you're on track for the 50 mile, uh, American. Well, I, I, I only knew it was an American record, but it was actually a world record, yeah. um, which was really cool. So, um, so yeah, I was really surprised. I was really surprised I was going that quick. Cause I wasn't sure what to expect. I thought I might, I thought I might be, you know, maybe 620, 630 pace, like kind of more on target for 13 hours. So when I found out I was on target for, uh, to hit under the 609, I think it was just over 609 or something. I hit, I hit a 608. Um, I was like, Oh, I got like really excited because right. uh, I was like game on game on, you know, for the, for the world record. So, uh, that was pretty exciting. So cool. Yeah. So let's talk about that. And again, this is something that we mentioned in our podcast recently, that being, that road and track ultras like jackpot are more of a math problem than <laughs> for trail races. You're going more by feel. Yes. So I I'm interested to hear you explain that strategically. You just said that you aim for about 75% of max heart rate. So talk about how you are sort of monitoring that in real time and, uh, how you, you approach the race as a math problem. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
I, I basically equate 100 miles to 75% max heart rate effort. So like uh, during my training, I uh, I do like training runs, you know, to get really dialed into that effort. And so 75% of max heart rate is like a steady long run effort. Um, so like my last workout that I did, I did, um, I had my heart rate monitor on and I did, I think I did like 20 minutes or something just to, just to get dialed in with that effort and like how my body feels running at 75%. And so, uh, I knew, I, I knew from that workout that I was, I think it was like 13 seconds per mile faster than I was doing the same workout before my previous world record. So that made that made me excited. I said, okay, I think my fitness is, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm fit enough to break my world record, but the course and the conditions might not be, you know, ideal. So it might kind of, you know, like balance each other out. So, yeah, I mean, I went in, you know, optimistic, but also, you know, cautious that, you know, the condition, the course might be really challenging. I don't know how I'm going to feel, you know, 50 miles in. So, you know, I just focused on that effort that I'd practiced in training and, you know, really paying attention to how my body feels, how my legs feel. Uh, Cause you obviously, I don't want to hit 50 miles and be like trashed, right. you know, like my legs be trashed. And yeah. um, so, so yeah, I was just kind of, I was kind of thinking about like how I felt when I ran Tunnel Hill, which was a lot cooler. And I felt a lot fresher when I hit 50 miles versus this time, okay. I felt a little bit more fatigued because when I hit that 50 mile split, like I said, it was like the sun was, you know, concentrated on us. And I was, I was feeling like, you know, I was just trying to stay positive working through that, that hot part of the afternoon. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were, but Connor's, you know, really, really on top of, um, he was putting mineral drops in my water, um, which I, I had mentioned I've had, uh, I was also deficient in magnesium and, um, and I needed more, I needed to get more salt in, in my, um, in my diet and during the race. So he, he actually increased my mineral drops in my water as it got hotter. Um, and I think that that really helped. I felt like, um, I felt like there was a point where, because we were trying to take in more, uh, minerals and more salt, I felt like there was a point where, uh, my body kind of like. I was feeling fatigued and then it kind of like went away Yeah, and yeah. And I mean, it was just, you know, just tweaking like little things like that during the race, like, you know, 50 to 70 miles in when it mm. got really hot, uh, you know, just tweaking my, my nutrition to, or my, uh, my electrolytes salt. and yeah. yeah, just a little bit. So, so practically though, with the heart rate thing, I'm going to go to the chat here because it's a question that I was also curious about. Matt asked, so are you using a, like a heart rate strap and is it being displayed on your watch? And so like strategically, are you monitoring your heart rate on your watch as you're running or in circles at jackpot? Is that how it goes strategically? Uh, no, I, I don't wear my heart rate during my heart rate monitor during races. Um, I wear a heart rate strap. That's a, that's another good point to make. Um, you need a heart rate strap to go with your watch because the wrist-based heart rate isn't very accurate. And mm-hmm. um, at least it doesn't work for me. Like I'm probably like maybe my arm movement's too crazy or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I practice with a heart rate strap on my chest and, um, and I, I just get dialed into what it feels like that effort. Okay. And I kind of have an idea of what that pace should be. Okay. And, um, and I actually, like when we go to do a race, um, like the day before the race, I actually practice. I did a lap on the course uh, with my heart rate strap and uh, kind of got dialed into that 75% effort. And um, so that I kind of knew what my pace was on that course and what it felt like. So uh, I felt like I was really dialed in well. And, and I think it was really good that um, I, I, I may have talked about this in the previous podcast that I, I let the top men go yep. uh, early in the race because I, I, I was so dialed in with my own effort that I knew that I needed to plug into that and, you know, not get caught up in trying to compete with the men like too early in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I was, I was dialed in those, those first, like, you know, 
25 miles or so, you know, getting in, getting in my groove, you know, that, that marble in a groove that I think I talked about. And, um, so, so yeah, I felt like I just, I just got really dialed into my effort early and, uh, just, you know, just try to sustain it as long as I could. So thanks for explaining that. Cause I think a lot of us are, are curious about it and yeah, it makes sense that you dial it in and training using your heart rate get a feel for what that pace should look like and then ditch the heart rate strap during the race and just kind of go off feel and off pace. Yeah. Reflect on last year's jackpot race, because this was your second time there. How did that effort inform this breakthrough? Yeah, it was, I'm, I'm really glad I went last year. Uh, it was, it was obviously much hotter because the race was in the end of April. Uh, and so it was actually, that race was a good opportunity to practice, uh, heat strategies, you know, dealing, managing the heat. Um, and I mean, I think that, you know, what I, the lessons I learned from that race, you know, helped me, you know, Havelina this year in Western States. And, um, so I feel like, you know, when, when a race is, you know, gets really, really hot that I have, you know, pretty good plan down on how to manage the heat. Um, and so, yeah, I knew going in this year that I knew the course, I knew, you know, conditions are going to be cooler and, um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fun atmosphere. Like, you know, they kind of have this, you know, it, it feels like there's, what's that? <laughs> I said, it's Las Vegas. Of course it's, it's a fun atmosphere. It's Vegas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they had like Elvis at the starting line and some showgirls and, um, they, they pull out like a snow cone, uh, they, they hand out like snow cones and that sort of thing. And, um, I mean, it just, it just feels like people are cheering you on the entire time, you know, versus like when you're, when you're out in the trails, like you only see people, you know, like the aid stations or whatever. And um, this is, you know, every lap you're, you're seeing people at the start finish, you're, you're passing people, you know, all the other competitors are cheering each other. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's another challenge is that, you know, I'm trying to balance like, you know, cheering for other people, but, and, but I'm also like weaving around people. So, you know, I'm adding on probably a little bit of time, uh, you know, I'm just trying to, trying to try not to trip on anything as I'm going yeah. during the race. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great atmosphere. And, um, I think just all that energy and especially this year, having steep life media there to cover yeah. the event, I think it just like really elevated it. So no doubt. Yeah. Shout out to steep life and Jamil Curry and his whole team. Uh, it's phenomenal what they're doing for fans of the sport like us to be able to watch someone like you set a world record in real time. So speaking of which, I guess, uh, you know, we should talk about desert solstice too, because you mentioned in that, in your post about that race, that it was just about as perfectly as you could have paced or executed (laughs) a hundred mile race on the track, but a jackpot, you ran 40 minutes faster. How do the two compare? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so when I ran desert solstice, I was running a 24 hour effort. Uh, I was hoping to go for the 24 hour, my 24 hour world record. Uh, but I, I had injured my knee at Javelina and, um, and so I, I was kind of on the fence on whether I could even run desert solstice. So I kind of went in more conservative thinking that the, I could run 24 hour pace because it was a slower pace. And I thought that I could manage that. So, so, so technically I was running a slower pace there. Um, but my knees started bothering me, I think like 50 to 60 miles in. And so, I kind of did the math and, and, you know, asked Connor, like, you know, am I on track? Could I get my track American record, you know, stop at a hundred miles. And so I think I was, uh, I don't remember what I was. Maybe I was like, uh, like 30 seconds or something under pace for my hundred mile track American record. And so, um, so yeah, I basically, I basically ran 90% of that race at 24 hour effort. And then I picked up the last 10 miles and tried to drop it down to a hundred mile effort. Uh, and so I ended up putting a cushion of, I think it was like four plus minutes on my American track record or technically it's a world record. And, but they, they don't, they don't delineate by surface at the the world athletics level. Um, so technically it's a track world record, but, but yeah, it was pretty much, you know, a, uh-huh. I ran at my 20, it was kind of like, it was more like I ran at 24 hour pace and then kicked it in the last 10 miles. So, yeah. uh, 
Okay. It was fun though. It was fun. I mean, it was fun to like negative split a hundred miles. Like incredible. You know? incredible. So you said in your Iron Far interview that, and you mentioned it at the beginning of our conversation today, that originally the goal was to go sub 13 hours at jackpot, not necessarily to break the world record, but that that calculus changed at the 50 mile mark. Talk us through that psychology. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So when I kind of hadn't been giving me any feedback, um, like even when I hit the 50 K split, I had no idea I was on pace to hit a good 50 miles. Like I couldn't, I couldn't comfort, you know, you're trying to do math in your head and you're like, okay, I don't know what pace I'm going at. Like, <laughs> it's just too much, you know, to think about. So Connor, Connor didn't give me any feedback. I was just rolling with it and, uh, you know, hoping, I think, I think at some point, like I said, maybe when I got over 40 miles, uh, I don't remember if I yelled at him or he told me, but he, he was like, he's like, Hey, you're on pace for the 50 mile, uh, masters American world record. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I, I was really excited about that. I was like, wow, I'm going faster than I thought I was, yeah. which is, you know, a good place to be. Um, so, so yeah, I think I, I think I maybe picked it up like a lap or two going into 50 miles just to make sure. I think I, I think I maybe had like a 20 second cushion. I extended it to like 45 seconds or something like that. Cool. So, <laughs> so, uh, and so, but so yeah. at that point, then you realized that the world record was in play. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I was trying to, you know, assess like how my body felt like I was like, okay, am I like, do my legs feel good? Like I want to make sure I want to make sure I can maintain this, you know, and make sure that I'm meeting, you know, my energy needs and, you know, getting enough minerals and electrolytes. And so, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I think I, I think I felt fresher when I set my, my previous world record because it was a lot colder. And, and this one, I felt a little bit more tired just Mm. because of that, that sun and, and the Hills. And, but not like excessively tired, like not feeling like I need to like lay down and sleep. And like, like a year ago when I, when I ran the race a year ago is like when I just, you know, when I found out the whole iron overload issue. So I mean, I, I'm like, did a 180, you know, in terms of my health this year yeah. that like, I've got my, got my energy back. And so when I hit that 50 mile mark and, you know, I was feeling, feeling really good and, and, I just kind of told myself to like maintain, you know, try and maintain that, that, that effort that I was focused on. And, and like I said, um, I kind of had a bit of a low point between about 50 and 70 miles where I was just feeling kind of, you know, the oppressive feeling from the sun and the heat and, and just trying to endure through that. And so, uh, Connor, like, you know, is trying to increase my minerals and taking more sodium. And, um, the amazing thing is I didn't have any bathroom breaks at all. Incredible. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess, you know, 50 to 75 miles for anybody who's run a hundred mile race, you know, that psychologically that's a difficult part of an event too, because you've yeah. made a lot of progress, but you still have so far to go. So yeah, psychologically, yeah. it's a difficult point. And if you're not feeling it physically and it's in the heat of the day, that compounds the difficulty in that yeah. moment. So I also, you know, was curious about whether there was drama or not. You know, you said you didn't feel great from 50 to 75 really, but was there any sort of major low points that you had to battle through? And if so, how'd you deal with them? Yeah. Uh, there, so I was feeling, you know, not to, I was feeling kind of like, Oh, I'm feeling kind of tired. You know, that sun, you're just trying to stay positive in that middle part and, uh, patiently waiting for the sun, you know, to go down. And so I think I hit the only time I stopped in the entire race was I really was started craving one of those, uh, athletic brewing, non-alcoholic beer. So good. And we were talking before we went live about how you and I have both been off the alcohol and sort of, uh, singing the praises of sober life. Uh, so shout out to athletic brewing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just really wanted to stop and chug a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. 
So I chugged in like 15 seconds. Like I think my, my Strava, I was able to figure out for my Strava, like how long it took me to chug a, chug a beer. So I did it. I just chugged it really fast and, yeah. and then just, just straight up win. I, I felt like that just kind of like, you know, mentally and physically refreshed me. Yeah, um, so that was my only stop in the race. Um, I had wow. no bathroom breaks. I uh, was just a machine the entire time. I, I, you know, knowing how close I was and um, pace wise, cause Connor was kind of updating me as it went. And he said, you know, I was just literally right on target. And, and um, so in my mind, I'm trying not to like have any sort of crisis. Yeah. You know? yeah. Wow. So cool. So at what point did you take the overall lead? Yeah, I think they, I was just watching the video of it and the, the race. And I think it was like 86 miles or so. And, um, and yeah, so I think it was, it took maybe about three laps that they said I was like four minutes behind and then two minutes and then 20 seconds. And yeah, just once I overtook him and I mean, he, he was looking pretty rough. And that was, Ar- was that Arlen? Yeah, that was Arlen. Um, and then I guess Alex, I don't know when I, you know, I, it was, it was kind of hard to tell cause we're kind of coming and going. I don't know when I had passed Alex and Nichols, but, um, but yeah, I was ahead of him and then, um, Arlen and yeah, once I caught Arlen, then, um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I went into the race having it kind of in the back of my mind, like seeing the men's field and thinking, well, you know, I'm just going to let those guys go and run my own race. And, just let the chips fall. You know, if I happen to catch them that that's, you know, I can't be afraid of that possibility. And, um, and so, so yeah, you know, obviously a hundred miles is really far and there tends to be a race of attrition. And, um, but I just, you know, I, I was, I was motivated, you know, with these chasing these records. And so maybe, maybe my level of motivation was a little bit higher than, than the others, you know, they're just trying to run for place or whatever. And, yeah. um, so, yeah, I mean, I went in, you know, game on once I hit 50 miles and then before you know it, I chased down Arlen and, um, and then I was going after my 12 hour world record. So Does, I knew <laughs> when you pass Arlen, what's the, what's going through your head there when you take the overall lead in the USATF hundred mile. Yeah. I, you know, I, like, I, I'm a competitor and, um, I mean, we were friendly with each other, of course. course. (laughs) It's like, it's not like he's trying to like duke it out with me. Um, he looked pretty rough and he looked like he was kind of leaning over one direction. And so I was worried about him being injured or I I didn't know what was wrong with Mm -hmm. him, but, um, but yeah, he kind of had a bit of a lean to him and, um, see, I don't, I don't know what's going on with his body, but, um, but I, I mean, I'm just, powering i'm just i'm trying to get to my 12 hour world record so i'm just you know cranking it and so in my mind i mean i hit i hit 80 miles and i only have 20 miles left and i'm like you know this is like a 20 mile long run that i do every sunday you know it's like a you know typical long run so i can i feel like i i've gotten really good at being able to wrap my head around you know in a positive way like how to get through the last 10 to 20 miles and uh that's that's a huge you know that's like the mentality you want to have like you want to be able to channel you know, those positive thoughts and wrapping your head around, you know, go, you know, take, go five miles at a time, one mile at a time, you know, you're trying to crank yeah. off those, those miles. Um, and so, yeah, I felt, I felt just really positive, you know, yeah. once I, once I got past Arland and the next goal was to get to 12 hours and, and then I was really close, <laughs> you know, I was cutting it really yeah, close. Yeah. To- so I want to talk about that. So yeah. you broke the existing world record, which you held by about 90 seconds, I think. So it was really close. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you're sort of like trying to do math in your head. (laughs) I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about what that is like, like executing on such a thin margin. And while you talk about that, I'm going to pull up the spreadsheet that you made with all the world records so we can talk. So talk about sort of like the math in your head and how you're going about that strategically knowing you only had a small margin. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I had like a 20 second cushion on my world record with three laps to go. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) So I had a 20 second cushion on my world record with three laps to go and I'm tired and I'm having to kick it in, you know, 97 miles. And let me tell you, so I, I got to give credit to Kira Diamato. 
yeah. who set the the marathon American record because I I'd followed her race and I mean she had a really close margin when yeah. she ran her record and I remember thinking she's a track runner yep. like she knows how to power on a track and I I'm the same you know I come from a track background as well and so like just thinking about her you know like drive your arms lift your knees you know power to the finish line and so my pace dropped and um, I think I was went from like 730 pace down to like low seven minute pace and in my mind I'm wow. thinking about not not trying to drop the pace like too much because I was worried I might start cramping or something you know yeah. <laughs> I'm like just just increase it enough that I can maintain that to the finish line um, and so yeah I think I kicked in my last mile in like uh, 709 or something like that and um, so, so cool. I went yeah I went from that 20 seconds to to 90 seconds so amazing and I thought I think I saw uh Kira D'Amato that's her name right I think I yeah saw Kira D'Amato yeah. yeah and she commented on your Instagram because you uh gave her a shout out so that was that's pretty yeah. cool to see you guys uh yeah you know cheering each other <laughs> on to these amazing American <laughs> records and world records so speaking of which I've got my screen sharing up here with a spreadsheet of all the records that you broke on last Friday so you know for our viewers here uh just <laughs> feast your eyes on what an incredible performance <laughs> this was. And I think the the main headline from the race was that you broke your own hundred mile world record. But as you mentioned, you've got the masters 50 mile record now, the 12 hour record, and also, you know, the hundred mile world record. And now, as we talked about in our last podcast, you're a master's athlete, which is incredible. Yeah. So I Woo. guess uh, celebrate and inspire people by sort of talking about what it's like to have what is probably one of the best races of your career after celebrating your 40th birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I, 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 I think it's really cool that, I mean, I've had a 27 year competitive athlete career and, um, you know, I like, and I'm still setting personal bests. So, uh, you know, I, I've got, I've got, I'm really happy about that. I'm grateful for that. You yeah. know, I, we, we, we tend to think that we hit 30 or 35, like, you know, and we're like hit our prime and it's all downhill from there. But, uh, like, you know, I'm fine tuning, I'm fine tuning things, you know, with my diet and my sleep and getting a squat rack and, you know, just trying to take better care of my body. And it seems to have unlocked this, you know, next level of, of, you know, feeling good. And, um, I, I, you know, I hope it's inspiring to others to keep going with their running career. And, um, I mean, we've seen, we've been seeing it with the marathoners with like Sarah Hall and Kira yeah. D'Amato. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they're just unlocking their, you know, their best years right now, Great like point. running, it's yeah. incredible. It's yeah. incredible. And yeah, it's so I mean, inspiring. I, and I, I turned 36 in about a month. And so you and uh, the other athletes you mentioned, Sarah Hall and Kira D'Amato. Yeah, it makes me uh, believe that the best days are ahead, which is important. Absolutely. So I want you to tell the story. At one point, you dropped a gel on the course. You, you mentioned this in your I Run Far interview. Tell that story because I think it's pretty special. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I went to go get a gel out of my sports bra and it actually slipped. And, uh, and, uh, I went, I went back, I was going fast, you know, so I'm going and slips and I try to go back to get it. And there's a lady behind me and she's like, she's like, I'll get it. Don't worry about it. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> and, and then like after the race, um, she came up to me and, uh, she's like, she's like, I saved you two seconds. And she's like, won't you autograph this for me? So, uh, so yeah, I mean, even, even like the littlest thing like that could have like cost me the record, you know, and I wasn't even thinking about it. I just didn't want to litter on the course. So. It's such a great story, you know, just like uh, encapsulates the spirit of the community, doesn't it? Yeah, also, that it does. It she, really does. She saved like, you two seconds yeah. and then you autographed the gel that you I dropped. Did. She'll probably never eat that gel. It's going to go in some <laughs> glass case and you know, belongs in the Smithsonian eventually, but really, really fun, uh, that story that came out of that awesome race. Speaking yeah. of awesome stories also ESPN 
the official Twitter account from ESPN tweeted about <laughs> your world record. And so did Sarah Spain, a fantastic sports media personality. That's got to be surreal. Talk about what it feels like to have ESPN sharing these awesome victories. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I it's, it's actually, it's been crazy. It's going to keep getting crazier. And I think the the craziest thing was we, we were on BBC world news live with BBC (laughs) world news on Sunday evening. Um, and I, I haven't even shared the video of that yet, but we were on for like, I think like four minutes or something like that. So that was really, really cool. But yeah. And yeah, Sarah Spain and ESPN and, um, they're working on getting me on some podcasts and, uh, it's just, yes. it's, it's, a, I mean, it's good for the sport. Like, I don't think this is, this is not just about me. I mean, it's good to get the sport mainstream. Um, you know, the more we get it out, of, out, out in the mainstream, the more people are going to be interested in doing it. And so I think it's really good for the sport that, you know, people are like hundred miles. That's crazy but maybe I want to do it. You know? Cheers to that. I couldn't agree more. It's such, it's so good for the sport to have champions like yourself in the consciousness of the general population, because they might get inspired. They may come into our sport and their lives will be changed as a result. And then the world will be a happier place. So yeah, congratulations. Exactly. On that. So I'm going to yeah. predict what you're planning to do now athletically. And you can tell me. If I'm wrong, okay. <laughs> as we sort of wind down the conversation. So my prediction is that now that you have set this world record again, you're going to take a month or two easy and then get on the trails and get screaming fit and prepared for Western States, which is a course that you've struggled on as we talked about in the podcast and is a course that is not as in your wheelhouse as jackpot and desert solstice and even javelina. Am I right in that suspicion that you're going to take it easy for a little while and then transition to the trails? <laughs> that, that's a pretty, that's pretty spot on. Uh, <laughs> I think last time I talked to you, I talked about going for world records and I was actually hoping to go for my hundred mile world record on a track in April but since I've already broken it this early, I think it kind of opened up the yeah. spring for me to do whatever I want to do. And I, I actually want to step down in distance and, you know, maybe focus on like 50 miles, six hour type stuff. And um, yeah, I just want to work on, I haven't even, that was the funny thing about this race was I kind of went into the race more with aerobic base training. Like I'm not in peak shape right now because I'm trying to train for Western States. Yeah. So I haven't done a whole lot of like, you know, like speed work and really like dialed in trail running. And, you know, like I, I feel like I've just got good fitness and I feel good. I'm healthy. Like I just, you know, feel good. So I'm in a good spot right now. And I, I just want to go to Western States and be healthy and prepared and, you know, just, just let that magic come out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. Is there any temptation to keep this heater going? I think sometimes elite athletes can get in a dangerous situation where they have all these great performances one after the next, and then they have a tendency to potentially step over the line and do one too many. Do you play this sort of ease off the gas pedal a little bit now, because as we mentioned, that was your third hundred miler in four yeah. months. Yeah. I'm not doing any more hundred milers <laughs> like, until Western States. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Done with the hundred milers right now. And um, I mean, I'm even contemplating doing a spring marathon and cool. um, yeah, I haven't, I, you know, I just turned 40 and, um, I don't know what I could do in the marathon and everybody's like, Oh, maybe you could, in fact, I think Connor mentioned, it. he's like, maybe you should start thinking about the next Olympic marathon trials, uh, which I don't know. I like, it's hard to wrap my head around training for a marathon again, but I mean, I, I just be happy to run, I don't know, whatever, a decent time in the marathon. But, um, I actually think I can break the 50 mile, six hour world records, which, um, I think like, and well, I've run 538, but it wasn't on a record eligible course. Okay. So it was recognized, um, by USATF as the road best, but, um, Connor says, Connor says, after watching me at this past race, he says, I have power in my legs. Mm. Like he says, 
He says, I look as strong as I've ever looked, especially wow. like late in the races. He thinks I'd look like super strong. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we're thinking about, you know, and focusing on quality and, and I'm, I'm not really sure, like, you know, if I'll, if I'll pursue it this spring or, um, you know, sometime later in the year, but I think that the 50 mile six hour world records are something that I can do for sure. And uh, maybe maybe break seven hours for a hundred k is is something I thought about. So wow, wow. Well, yeah. we will be anxiously observing what you choose to do next. And obviously, yeah. Western States is going to be here before we know it, and we'll be really excited to watch you race there. Maybe yeah. final question from the chat here before we let you go, Camille. It was a good question from JC, and it sounds like he may be training for his first 24-hour race. And since you oh, cool. have experience doing this, I think it'd be a good—you'd uh, be a great person to deliver this advice. And he asks, for a first-time 24-hour race, should you practice sleep deprivation or do 12-hour night runs, things like that? How do you manage the nighttime aspect of 24-hour races? Yeah, yeah, and. Well, so when I ran my, when I ran my 24 hour world record, um, I mean, I, I train, you know, I train the same way I trained as a marathoner getting out and running twice a day, most days. And so I'm usually running, I usually like to run kind of closer to lunchtime and then run like later in the evening, which for me is like eight to 10 o'clock at night. And I've, I've been known to do 20 milers at midnight. Wow. <laughs> I've been, I've done some crazy things, but um, I've actually kind of, I've cut back on that more recently. Like I've been trying to get better sleep and not like do these crazy night runs anymore. Um, but I found that when I did my 24 hour world record, I laid down twice during the race and took uh, eight minute power naps. Mm. And that was like, it was like meditation when I did that. And, and that just kind of gave me enough to like, you know, recharge the battery that I didn't have to do like a full sleep or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that just that, you know, you got to think of your brain as a battery almost. And, yeah. um, and so I was able to kind of, you know, recharge the battery and, uh, just with that, like laying down flat during the race. Um, and yeah, I got back out there and, uh, the, the last couple hours of my 24 hour world record, I mean, I just powered it. Yeah. I absolutely crushed it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've actually practiced before taking like naps during runs and like, especially like evening runs, if you do like a late night run, I've laid down like on a trail or, uh, you know, if I'm out on the road or something, just, just practice like laying down and closing your eyes and, uh, being able to relax, you know, for a couple minutes. So fascinating. Well, thanks for being so transparent with, uh, how we can all get better as athletes <laughs> and thanks for the inspiration. Not only yeah. again, did you set a number of world records, but you won the race outright by nearly 30 minutes. It was an incredible performance. Congratulations. And thanks so Thank much you. for spending the time talking us through it. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Great. Cool. Have, have a good weekend. Thanks, Camille. Thanks everybody out there watching. Appreciate everybody for joining us. And uh, yeah, for Camille Heron, I'm Dylan Bowman. We'll see you guys soon.